0: Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of E-Sharp magazine. Go to e-sharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson. I'm In Conversation with Benjamin Haddad. Benjamin Haddad is the uh, director of the Europe program at the Atlantic Council based in Washington, D.C., and the author of a new book, Le Paradis Perdu: L'Amérique de Trump et la Fin des Illusions Européennes, which will or should certainly be translated into English and in German in the not so distant future. My opening question to you, Ben, is what inspired you to to write this book
1: and to take the angle you took? Uh, Well, hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Um, Well, you know, I've been in the United States now for a little more than four years. Um, uh, Moved to D.C. uh, to work in a think tank community in uh, late 2014. And Trump declared his candidacy a few months later. And what was fascinating to me for a year and a half as a foreigner, in the US and Washington, is every expert I talked to, every commentator, Republican like Democrat, told me, Don't worry, it's gonna be done in a week. You know, <laughs> he's gonna employ, he has no chance, etc. cetera. And, the, and then he won. And, and I think the conversation in the last uh, couple of years have focused so much on himself, his personalities, the antics, uh, his tweets, the scandals. Um, and I was mostly interested in, in going beyond this and thinking, you know, what's going on in the United States? What's going on in our liberal democracies? Uh, what did he tap into? Uh, what, the, what is this anger uh, in America that he, he looked at? And more importantly, uh, you know, what are the continuities you could see also with uh, President Obama? I'm sure we're going to get into this, but mm-hmm. if you're European, you can see that there's something broader going on Uh, when it comes to non-intervention in the Middle East, when it comes to the debate over burden-sharing and the relationship with uh, the European Union and so I think it's very important for us to uh, understand what's going on, what will last beyond Trump himself in American Mm -hmm. foreign policy, in American's relationship to its own leadership, relationship to the world and what are the consequences that uh, Europe should draw from this. This book is half a book of analysis about the united states but half also a almost militant case for europe to reconcile with power politics with its sovereignty with a stronger role on the international stage at a time when it's stuck between china russia and the united states
0: well that's interesting because whether trump is in the white house for four years or or eight years obviously in europe everybody is interested to know whether any things he does now as president have long-term impact and difficult to to roll back on but as you're hinting i find very interesting also and it sounds almost heretical to say that here in brussels where we're recording this is as you know every european basically would vote democrat if they had a vote in the u.s elections and so they're pretty horrified by what's happening at the moment having said that and you talk about it a lot in your book and elsewhere you know a lot of the things he's saying obviously obviously in a much more strident, uh, aggressive, uh, provocative, whatever, confrontational way, uh, are not that new. Many Democrats in the past and occupants of the White House have been saying similar things, like burden sharing, no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you look at uh, Barack Obama's interview uh, in The Atlantic, Jeffrey Goldberg, at the end of his presidency, The Obama Doctrine, it's a fascinating piece. Uh, first he's asked what was the biggest mistake of your uh, foreign policy presidency. He doesn't say the non-intervention in Syria that the French president (laughs) for example was very upset about Uh, he talked about Libya which is something that he did alongside uh, France and the United Kingdom and he blamed Paris and London for it. He said they're free riders. This is the kind of vocabulary that you hear uh, from Trump. Bob Gates, his secretary of defense, had very harsh words about uh, burden sharing uh, as well. That's one, one aspect. The second aspect is obviously the pivot to Asia, the fact that China is becoming much more central to US foreign policy making, both for Democrats and Republicans. Once again, there's a lot of uh, debate about uh, Trump's methods, the, uh, the unilateralism, the use of economic tariffs, but the fact that Asia and China rather than Europe is going to be the central theater of American foreign policy is I think at this point uh, consensual. And another aspect is uh, non-intervention and especially in in the Middle East and in areas that are critical to European uh, security. Um, If you take an issue like Syria on which there is uh, a lot of continuity between Obama and Trump, uh, they, they don't want to shape a political outcome. They don't want to get dragged in another conflict in the Middle East, focused strictly on anti-terrorism with, with ISIS. This is a conflict that had, uh, I would say, an almost existential impact for the European Union with uh, the refugee wave that sparked the rise of populism in the last few years, but obviously the rise of di- uh, ISIS and terrorist attacks all over uh, Europe. Um, but it was treated in the United States, understandably, by the way, as a... Um, far away uh, humanitarian tragedy, but I don't think anyone would call it, you know, existential for Mm -hmm. uh, the United States. So, you know, once again, beyond beyond the rhetoric and beyond the the insults of President Trump, I think it's very important to understand these continuities, to understand that um, America is uh, going through also a, a really deep, almost existential debate, identity debate about its role in the world, about mm. the use of its power, about the limits of its power. Which
0: predates Trump arriving in the White Which House. Which, of
1: course, predates Trump. Um, I would say, I think it's a long-term consequence of the end of the Cold War, uh, of the, the disappearance of the Soviet Union and the disappearance of the centrality uh, of Europe. Uh, you know, you remember the debates in the 90s about the end of history, the famous Fukuyama article, the unipolar moment. We had a... Uh, French Foreign Minister Hubert Védrine, who talked about the United States being a hyperpower. That was a time of uh, liberal optimism of the United States being a sort of um, armed actor of globalization, expanding alliances, expanding free trade agreements. And we're seeing it all over, by the way, in Europe and United States, a backlash against this. And I think in the U.S., it really crashed on the financial crisis and Iraq. Uh, it's not a coincidence if both President Trump and President Obama are uh, people who oppose the war in Iraq, which was uh, supported by a vast array of experts and policymakers in in washington um, and uh, And I think we see this in in the skepticism towards Syria and once again with uh, deep ramifications uh, for us europeans so in that sense, it kind of suggests that
0: he 's not actually being a kind of a, a maverick uh, actor uh, trump in the white house he 's whether some people don't like admitting it, certainly publicly, he's saying things and, and sometimes doing things, not just rhetoric, that a large part of the political establishment in Washington certainly we,
1: tends to agree with. I I think so. Uh, there, I mean, once again, putting aside uh, the, the personality, there's also a, a certain way there, there's the method. I mean, um, both Obama and Trump uh, come at this with a deep sense of the limits of power and U.S. power, but they draw different consequences from it. Obama being much more open to multilateralism and diplomacy. We've right. seen him uh, negotiating the Paris uh, Climate Agreement or the JCPOA. Um, and I think in the in the case of Trump, it's, it's the opposite. It's sort of unilateral nationalism that some people have referred to as the uh, Jacksonian tradition of American foreign policy, which I uh, talk about uh, in the book. But um, it, it's very important to understand, first, why it resonates with a huge chunk of the American public uh, and, and why uh, it could go uh, beyond, I think, only his presidency.
0: So this inward-looking uh, United States, now that is a distinctive uh, difference between this current administration and the previous one. Right? As you say, Obama, despite his reluctance to get involved in wars, certainly rather you know, uh, open-ended wars potentially, um, he nonetheless did commit to multilateral
1: Uh, Agreements when they were feasible and and desirable. Um, Yeah, and and in this respect, it's much more compatible with the European Union's worldview, with uh, uh, how you know we promote cooperation, multilateralism, the uh, um, uh, norms uh, on the international stage. But if you look at the arc of crisis, I would say two things. First, the arc of crisis surrounding Europe from North Africa to Eastern Europe, right. uh, Russian revisionism in, in Ukraine and Georgia, and obviously you know the rise of radicalism in, in North Africa and the Sahel, or uh, the instability in Libya and in the Near Middle East. Um, these are, I think, areas where Europeans have to develop their own capabilities, have to develop their own strategic thinking, have to uh, build their uh, their own autonomy. Um, and the second aspect is that. Uh, we are entering an, a moment of great power politics with uh, the rivalry between the United States and China becoming more and more determinant to uh, uh the, the the shape of uh, international relations the shape of norms of globalization and trade and the question is what role does europe want to play in this uh what does it have to uh, add to the table what is its uh international identity does it just want to be a battleground a play field for other actors as we're seeing right now with debates over huawei mm-hmm. and chinese investments or does it want to have? Its own identity and vision that it promotes.
0: Well, we'll come to that the e response in, in a second. Before we move on to that, Ben, I mean, why is this kind of this power politics you're talking about uh, being played out now, becoming so uh, strident? Why the U.S. and China now? Why is the U.S. Uh, attacking China now
1: at this moment, where it has not done in, in the same way in the past? Well, I think there's a rising consensus right now in the United States that um, the approach to China as uh, the term was a responsible stakeholder in globalization, that it could um, integrate the um, 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 global trade and progressively moderate and become uh, a cooperative actor. I think this this view is uh, is uh, largely uh, foregone uh, both, by both Republicans and Democrats. Um, I was reading a book by uh, Kishore, Kishore Mahoubani uh, recently uh, Who's this uh, Singapore uh, writer who said you know there was a mistake when we thought that the the beginning of the twenty first century the the biggest turning point strategically was 9-11. he said no the same year that China entering the WTO and that completely shifted uh, globalization or relationship to power um, and I think now you know especially with the authoritarian bent that the regime is taking under the leadership of Xi Jinping that's a certain death a certain dev on the world stage. Uh, with the Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. with uh, the way it's using economic investments to political uh, influence. I think the Americans are realizing that China is its own actor with uh, its specific vision of uh, what globalization should look like, what its uh, own system should look like, and able to promote it around the world. It's interesting that uh, we are seeing this conversation in Europe as well. The uh, EU Commission released a a paper Mm. recently calling China a systemic rival, which I thought was quite unprecedented in the harshness of the tone. Um, We see uh, in Germany, is going through a very intense debate about investment screening. Uh, We uh, hosted uh, Florence Parly, the French defense minister at the Atlantic Council recently. She referred to China as as a threat. Um, So I think there is an awakening to that matter as well. The question is, are we able to our unity uh, and how assertive can we ourselves be in promoting and protecting our model? Well, let me
0: press you a bit more on, on the on the European response, not so much to Trump, but um, the European response to China. As you you quote these these instances of uh, personalities saying what they're saying, but then, as you know, whether it's on um, technology issues, cybersecurity, not all member states are. You know, blindly, unquestioningly, following the or listening to the entreaties of the U.S. administration to to block certain tech mm-hmm. companies you mentioned Huawei, obviously. Uh, but when it comes to the Belt and Road Initiative, you know, some countries are very happy to to receive the investment that, that the BRI um, represents. Right. So it's not as if maybe Europe may be waking up also. And you talked about the strong language in in the recent Commission paper. But nonetheless, there's, we're far from a Unity and a consensus in Europe on how to
1: respond to China. Is that a fair point? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we've seen Italy joining the, the Belt and Road Initiative recently. We have countries like Hungary and others that are very active in the 16 plus one format. Right. Uh, obviously, the uh, Pyrrhus harbor in, in Athens was bought by Uh, by China Uh, so no there's there's a lot of division and I think it's just an ongoing conversation I would say you know broadly because even countries that are becoming more assertive right now like France and Germany it's fairly recent and have been very open and and this is what I get into in the book I think we what's going to be very complicated for Europeans is that the model that we've promoted for so long the model that we've built an entire institutional DNA on cooperation multilateralism Mm -hmm. win-win games uh, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's an exception right now in the world. Uh, we thought that we would be the next norm. You know, I, I reread some of these books on uh, why the EU.. would rule the 21st yeah. century, yeah. why it was a postmodern power, yeah. all this optimism that we had uh, 20 years ago. and the, 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 the common gist of it was basically that others would, uh, that we were ahead of everyone else that yeah. others would end up uh, reaching us. And we're yeah. seeing right now a backlash against this and a desire for protection. For borders, for strong identity, yeah. for security. So, how do we balance this? Uh, keep, uh, I think, what makes us uh, different, and, and and it is important to keep that that uh, identity. But at the same time, compete in a world that doesn't relate to this. Yeah. That's not only about multilateralism and cooperation. That you can't be only the the most o- naive about trade and be the yeah. most o- yeah. open economic and, uh, area. Accommodating, in the world, yeah. yeah, of course.
0: I mean, I think on that when you talk about the leadership stuff. I mean, I'm going back years. Now, maybe even when Bush was there, uh, George W. was in the White House, uh, maybe Obama. Europe, as you know, is very proud of its leadership role on climate change particularly. Mm-hmm. But then some, you know, some cynics say there's no point in leading if nobody's following, right? And I think that's... So I'm intrigued now in the in the last part of this conversation. Ben, is you're suggesting that the the optimism of a few years ago on the European side is, is no longer there, not there in the same level of intensity. And yet, nonetheless, for the reason you've explained now, and also in your book, Europe has to wake up and smell the coffee when it comes to dealing with the new realpolitik on in, in the United States. So, uh, but this they're far from consensus. Unity is not the order of the day in the EU at the moment for lots of different reasons. So, do you have any kind of would you any kind of blueprint or advice strategy you might suggest to particular leaders on the European side how they can start? being more uh, independent I suppose and autonomous and just being doing their own thing rather than waiting for the United States to give, give them some ideas
1: yeah well I mean first I think the glass is not always half empty and there have been some awake I mean if you look at the way we've reacted to the border crisis and investing more in, in Frontex uh, obviously the the good news and the, the bureaucratic process doesn't make the headlines but you've seen a lot of progress I think the way we've dealt with uh, countries in our in our surrounding including in very uh, controversial agreements and deals uh, like the one we d- w- did with Turkey, which was a sort of entry into realpolitik by uh, mm. Europeans. It's very controversial and criticized at the time. Um, you've seen uh, some efforts towards uh, building an industrial defense industrial base. Uh, with PESCO and the European uh, Defense Fund. So I I do think all these things go in the right direction and we Mm -hmm. should continue. Um, But, and this is why I really make the case in this book, Um, I, I think the Trump administration is an opportunity for Europeans. Uh, if they see it, if they understand that this is not just some nightmare that will wake up in 2020. Opportunity but to, to do well, though. Opportunity to unite, to invest more in their own defense and right. security. On defense, I can see. Yes, okay. So mostly on, on defense. Right. Um, and, and to rise as their own actors with their own uh, de- defense identity. But it's going to be generational. So it will uh, require a lot of leadership and, and uh, unity building. I uh, write to a French audience, and I think there is a... Tendency by French policymakers, including right now, uh, even when they claim to be very pro-European, to project a very French vision of what Europe should be and and what European interests should mm-hmm. be uh, on an issue like uh, like Russia. Um, you know, you'll you'll find even pro-Europeans in Paris say, "Well, is it, it you know should it really be our priority to confront Russia?" And you no, know, if you want to build a European uh, European unity on on defense issues, you have to integrate the uh, security concerns of your partner uh, in Central and Eastern Europe uh, who do feel threatened by Russian revisionism. So I think it's it's also, it's going to be a long process, but it is important, I think, to integrate the different perspectives. If you, another example um, uh, that, that I mentioned in the book as well, um, it, everyone's very concerned with the, uh, the rise of nationalism in Italy and the consequences mm. of uh, uh, Salvini's policies. But, uh, it, you know, we have to be, Lucid about the fact that uh, for all the talk about European solidarity, Italy was abandoned for a long time on its own yeah. on immigration, yeah. uh, including by the French and others not taken seriously not taken seriously, and I think you know this should be a wake up call also that uh, the the Mediterranean is also at the border of Sweden and Germany, mm. uh, and that we you know we should have invested more in uh, in not letting our uh, border partners uh, take the um, uh, the, um, the the whole burden of uh, of the refugee crisis. Well, let's
0: finish off by talking briefly about um, transatlantic relations more broadly, uh, looking to the future. I mean, we you painted a pretty stark picture about the new United States, uh, which doesn't start with the Trump presidency, but certainly intensified since he came to the White House you talked about that made the case up to a point about how Europe has to you should say, wake up smell the coffee and start doing quote unquote its own thing these are my quotes not yours but to what extent is it sensible or is it or is it simply naive to, to still try and create and nurture given your day job is running the Europe count, mm-hmm. uh, program at the Atlantic Council for those kind of groups without being too elitist whether the think tank group academic group business group and so on whether it's in Washington or here in Brussels or both to, to keep those kind of four alive and hopefully attract new new participants, or are we moved on from that?
1: No, absolutely not. I think it's fundamental. But I think it's fundamental as long as the conversation doesn't st- get stuck in denial or nostalgia.
0: Right. Uh, yeah.
1: it, the the transatlantic relationship is not going to be the one of the Cold War, and that's fine. There's no golden age that we're gonna to turn to. The question is how do we cooperate and create uh, um, a partnership with the rise of China? Hmm. How do we shape the, names of the norms of, of trade, of privacy, of yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, data together? And I think we have so much more in common as liberal democracies and allies than, than uh, a difference on this. Um, but also how do we build, and this is very important to me, a constructive but frank dialogue about what we expect each other to do. Um, and this has been a very difficult conversation to have. But uh, how can American policymakers say uh, we want Europeans to take more responsibility their own periphery and neighbourhood? We want them to be more uh, uh, autonomous because I I am absolutely convinced that this is in the interest of the United States. Uh, a small example of this is what the French, now with the support of Europeans, are doing in the Sahel to fight Al Qaeda. This, uh, you know, some Americans would have called this leadership from behind at the time of the <laughs> Libyan war. Um, and, and I do think that could, could contributes to, uh, to the alliance. Um, but, but it is Europeans being more assertive. So um, in, in this respect, I am absolutely convinced that having a robust, autonomous European Union is complementary, even fundamental to the alliance. There's no competition in my mind between the two. Okay.
0: Well, we have to leave it there. Benjamin Haddad, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you.